Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where everything's coming up rocketansky and mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 74 which begins with papagallo deciding to let max drive the tanker and it ends with the horde lining up outside the compound things are actually starting to happen oh yeah in this minute this might be a byproduct of analyzing minute by minute I feel like we have been preparing for this moment for a very long time. Oh, absolutely. It probably feels that way, especially because we've seen the compound dwellers actively preparing for this moment as well. I don't know how long exactly it's been. It's hard to tell with time of day and whatnot, especially the way that... George Miller just used the shots that work and didn't worry so much about the lighting. It has been way more than 12 hours. Oh, absolutely. When Papagallo was up on that wall wounded and said, you've got 12? Yeah, 12 came and went. Right. I would <laughs> I would hazard a guess at it's been at least 18 hours. Oh, easily. It hasn't been 24, which was the original estimation. But I think it's been at least 18. Right, because when Papagallo told them 12 hours, it was, I don't know, the afternoon. Mm -hmm. The sun wasn't necessarily at the point where it was starting to go down, but the horror montage and the overnight work session did happen fairly close to that. So yes. let's say 6, 7 p.m., mm -hmm. Max gets the rig back in and they say, oh, 12 hours, which means, oh... 12 them then they would leave at 7 a.m this yeah. does not look like 7 a.m no so much has already happened today max and the interceptor left at dawn we know because of the rising sun max was attacked shortly after dawn car flipped over exploded big fireball and smoke gyro captain needed to fly out to max find max pick up max bring him back drop him off compound dwellers had to clean him up dress his wounds put him on the cot he had to wake up at that point, which who knows how long it took him to wake up. That's the big question is how long was he in that infirmary unconscious? I would say taking a stab in the dark, I would say it's at least early afternoon. Midday to early afternoon, which makes the whole if we're not there by sundown plan sound like they're not giving themselves that long to lead away the horde and either defeat them or evade them. I have two questions about the plan. What little of it we overheard. Did they say anything about how far away the rendezvous point was? Roughly 200 miles. Okay. And my second question is, how long does the group as a whole have to wait after the decoy group leaves before they leave? Like, do they wait 10 minutes and then leave? Is there a plan for timing there? There's no specific instruction on let us go through the gate and then leave X amount of minutes afterwards. In the minutes coming up, we do see that the rig punches through the horde. And once the rest of the horde starts chasing after the rig, that's when the rest of the caravan moves out. I don't know the exact timing because I haven't really looked too close at those minutes yet because they're right. upcoming. Papagallo doesn't give any instruction specifically in the briefing. Okay. To start in on the minute proper, we begin with Papagallo 
considering Max. After Max's declaration, I'm the best chance you've got. Papagallo considers him for a moment and then returns Max's shotgun to him as a signal, yes, you can drive the rig and here's your gun, by the way. I like that it's just understood when Papagallo hands Max that shotgun. They, he doesn't have to lay out specifically in black and white, here is your shotgun back. You may drive the rig. It's just understood without words. Here, I'm giving you that responsibility. I'm trying Trusting you with this. Don't screw it up. <laughs> and along with that trust and that signal also comes a little white cloth bundle mm -hmm. that actually Papagallo has been holding in his opposite hand as the shotgun, also talking with it. Both items go to Max. And as Max is handed those things and Papagallo turns to walk away, he says, right, let's get moving. And you can see Zeta standing there and he's got this grimace on his face <laughs> as if Zeta would much prefer Max not be involved because of his wild card status. Do you think Zeta feels threatened in any way that maybe his number two position might be in jeopardy? I think he might be upset at least a little bit by the fact that he was planning on riding on the tanker with Papagallo driving, that he was going to put his safety in Papagallo's hands. And now instead of this person that he trusts and has worked with driving the rig that he's going to be riding on. Now his safety is in the hands of this stranger, this wastelander that they didn't even know before a few days ago. Mm. And yes, he found them the rig, but at the same time, Zeta doesn't have the history with Max that he has with Papagallo. I can understand him being just unsure of the situation. Good point. As opposed to Virginia, the warrior woman who made peace with Max, and she recognized the goodness in his capabilities and told him so, and they made a little connection. Yeah. We don't actually see much of a reaction from the mechanic or warrior woman, but I like that you brought up that she already, I guess, recognized him mm -hmm. as a valuable asset and has given him that bit of acceptance. I feel like the mechanic probably would still be a little sour on being abandoned initially, but at the same time, if the mechanic wanted to put the rig in the hands of the most capable driver, Max is it. So I imagine the tanker team are probably more or less all right and yes. willing to go along with it. I mean, yes. they all get on the tanker, that's for sure. As Papagallo gets everybody moving again, not only do we see Zeta's sour look, but we also see that Rebecca doesn't move away as quickly as the others. Yeah. That she hangs back a little bit, and she's just looking at Max. She has this way about her that's actually a mirror of Max's way about him of no expression on their faces. She does the same thing. Mm -hmm. And we saw it back when Max had just brought the rig in and everybody was crowding around him and patting him on the back and saying, with you driving the rig, we're going to be in great hands. And Max's rejection of that. And specifically, Max's rejection of the shells Yeah, from Big Rebecca. She displayed nothing on her face then. She just turned around and walked away. And now this time when it's happening again and the tables are turned completely around, again, she just stands there and looks at him. Yeah. While he accepts the shells and accepts the responsibility that he rejected earlier. What do you think is going through her head there? I think that she's probably more along the lines of Zeta. Yeah. Who don't necessarily 
want him to come in and save the day because he was asked to come in and save the day. Yeah. And he said no. So they made their own plans. They were going to do it without him. They didn't need him to save the day. He would just be an asset in saving the day and make saving the day a little bit easier. Right. So now that Max desperately needs them because he desperately needs a set of wheels to get out of there, I think Zeta and Rebecca are hesitant to accept him back. That makes sense. Which I think is a little judgmental. I mean, I guess I can't really blame them, but it's a little judgmental because he did come through for them with the rig. He put his life on the line yeah walking out there in the middle of the night almost getting caught just on the way out and then risking his life again to come back when he didn't have to so i think they are being a little bit harsh understandably so i think yeah so max has that little bundle and you mentioned that it's full of shotgun shells as he opens up the handkerchief i'm counting six shells he takes two of them loads them straight into the shotgun leaving four left i don't know why i feel compelled to count and keep track of them i just feel like it's going to be a continuity thing down the road so there's six he's loading two four in reserve one thing that stood out to me though as he's loading them into the shotgun is the feral child's face is right there in the frame with the open breach of the shotgun and the pile of shells and he's paying very close attention to how max is loading that shotgun and i get the sense that the feral child wants to learn everything he can about max so that he can continue trying to emulate him he did that thing where he was walking in time. Now he's paying attention to how he loads the shotgun. He held on to his clothes when he was undressed in the infirmary. I feel like it's just another thing with the feral child wanting to be as close to Max as he can be. We cut from Max loading those shells into his shotgun and taking a few steps towards the rig to a wide shot of the compound. We are looking over essentially the entirety of the courtyard as they are prepping to leave. And you can already see in the distance a couple of the horde starting to show up. But right, I wouldn't say front and center, I'd say more front and a little off to the side, we see a crow. And it stood out to me as significant because we heard crows slash possibly sheep so many times in that first movie mad max 1979 that i was actually a little surprised going through road warrior that we so infrequently heard the sound of crows and maybe it's just different region of the country different biome that sort of thing but it's nice to see at least one showing up before there's a whole heap of trouble it always seemed to me that the presence or sound of a crow heralded some sort of trouble on the horizon. Crows are carrion birds. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we've only seen one when those camels have been laying out in the sun for days now kind of doesn't make sense. They should be everywhere. Yeah. I think crows are so ubiquitous. They don't necessarily... I'm not sure there are biomes that crows don't really exist in. Yeah. If there's food, crows exist. And yeah, they're out in the desert, so there's not a lot of food, but there's always going to be carrion. Mm. And there are vultures in Australia, but there are also dingoes and ants and lizards and things like that. So it might just be that with the local pack of wild dogs, which we know exists because we heard the howling maybe they're just overly aggressive to the crows and maybe that's why we haven't seen them that much 
Hard to say. I didn't notice the crow. Was he in a place that it could have been an accident? Like a crow landed? Could be. I don't necessarily think that he was put there on purpose. Because in Mad Max 79, the crows were so frequent and seemed so purposefully placed that it was obvious that it was on purpose. It was meant to signify something. This one, I'm kind of wondering if it was a coincidence. I wouldn't be surprised at all. From there, we take a step further into the compound as we see Zeta running around. He passes from in front of the tanker down the length of it, and he climbs up into sort of a rear fortified position. It's almost like they cut the back half of a vehicle off and just welded it to the back of the trailer. I mean, it's a good position for him. He's on a good level to deal with aggressors on the road. And I think it's a good opportunity for us to bring up the fact that this tanker has a grand total of four adults and will have one child defending it. And you could also technically count Papagallo in the chase vehicle as a defender, so I guess five. And I know that the compound doesn't necessarily have a wealth of warriors, but it just seems like they are understaffed for the thing that they want to do. Because I don't think they necessarily want to die out there. I think they're understaffed on purpose because I think they know they're not going to survive. Yeah. I think they send as few people as would be convincing to the horde. You don't want to send just Max out there because mm. that's going to tip them off that something's not right. But you don't want to send too many people because the chances of them surviving are not good and they know that. Yeah. They found a balance in between and sent only the warriors. Maybe that's one reason why Virginia was so adamant that the mechanic not go. Right. Because she knew that they were some sort of suicide squad. Right. One thing that I found interesting as Zeta was running back towards the rear of the tanker, Papagallo looked up at Max and gave him, I would say, like a knowing nod. And then Max, looking back at him, returned the nod. Mm, nod plus. I know we can only see like one eye, but I think that eye was rolling. I think he returned the nod with attitude. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't think Max wants to be doing this. He's doing it only because it's his only way out of the compound. Yeah. On his own terms. Right. Yeah, he could hang out in the infirmary or he could hang out in the bus, but those are not on his own terms and Max does not do that. You know, it's interesting. We spent so much time talking about how, oh, this is Max's resurrection and his change of heart. I feel like we were speaking out of turn there and that when we're looking at Max here, he's not doing this job because he wants to help these people. He's doing it, like you said, because he has no other choice. It's either do this or ride like a patsy in the ambulance. Mm -hmm. And that's not how he does things. Mm -hmm. One thing that we will talk about at the very end of the movie is Max's arc through the movie. Right. I'm not sure he has one. And we will certainly get into it deeper. But even now, after everything he's been through and... All of the things that he's lost, he's lost everything again. He's still driving the tanker for his own benefit. Max kind of tricked us a little bit <laughs> by saying, no deal, I want to drive the tanker. Which kind of makes it sound like he's doing this out of the goodness of his heart and he wants to help. But he doesn't want to make a deal because the benefit he will get is inherent to doing the job. Yeah. He doesn't need anything else. In driving the tanker, he's going to get out of there. Yeah. And that's all he wants. I think we continuously put our own emotions 
on to max. We keep doing it. We keep catching ourselves doing it, but then we do it again. Yeah. If we had a dollar for every time. (laughs) (laughs) Switching off of max, we see Arky over by the bus and she is starting to climb up this rope ladder that leads into the window of the bus. And it just seems like the worst possible way to get inside of that bus, that window. There are so many exits on a bus. So there's the the normal front door. Yep. Now, these are American school buses I'm talking about that we have experience with. So there's the regular front door. There is the back door that's usually attached to an alarm, but they probably have that disabled. Yeah. There are two roof hatches. I wonder if... Is there one or two in like a regular... In modern school school buses, there are two roof hatches. Okay. I wonder if there are any on that. Four windows, emergency exit windows, that I think you pop them out, right? Like you give them a good kick and the entire window will pop out. Yeah. Making a hole big enough that a person can climb through. And then I think... The window that is next to the driver, I think, is also a pop-out window. Mm-hmm. Nine? Is that nine exits? That's a lot. Holy cow. Wow. Well, you know, when you got 50 kids trying to escape a school bus, you need nine exits. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of the school bus from the movie. Mm-hmm on Google Images just now, and it doesn't look like there are any avenues of egress on the top. Okay. But even so, those windows are so small, and yeah, there should be a front door to that bus that would be so much easier to get in and out of. Now, I suppose the front door is located on the tire side, so maybe they don't want to go that way to tip off the marauders would be able to see them. That's a good point. But I don't feel like that's a problem. I definitely feel like with the bus gate closed, they should be able to pass in and out of that front door. Yeah, it might be a squeeze. Yeah. But I, I haven't they been doing that the whole time? Anytime anyone gets in or out of the bus to move it back and forth? I mean, they could have been using the back door before because we know from stuff we see later on in the movie that the back entrance to the bus is currently taken up by a bunch of barrels. Yes. So they can't necessarily go in and out that way. It just maybe this is just a isolated incident. <laughs> I hope so. Cuz it's just Because it's not a big opening. No, and okay, yes, Arky is a young small little thing. So she can probably wiggle through there. But almost anybody else Like, Rebecca? She's not large. She's not big. I don't know why she's called Big Rebecca, but she is not big. I think she has an average middle-aged body, which can't fit through that window. Yeah, she's probably not as lithe or spry or any other adjective for someone who can move with a lot of flexibility. Yeah, and then there's the doctor. Is he a doctor? Guy wearing an apron. Wearing, like, a worker's apron. I don't know why I assume he's a doctor. Anyway... There is a man who is quite large. There's no flipping way he's getting through that window. Yeah, he's rather portly. Yes. And who knows, maybe he's riding in another thing. But it's just the idea of crawling in and out of that window, it's not something that I should get caught up on. But when you think of getting in that window, I, as a large six foot, 250 pound man, would get caught up in that window because it's so tiny. And the curmudgeon is driving the bus as they leave, and I can't imagine him crawling through. Because, okay... 
you climb up that rope ladder, you put your arms and head through that window, and then you get your butt hanging out the window. You get your arms with like probably nowhere to put your hands. Right. You have to land down into the bus seat. And then you get this awkward crawling situation. It's like... It's bad. Oh, I hope this wasn't a situation that they were doing this all the time. I hope it was just this one time they were doing it because it is so dumb. And I can't remember. I think it's a combination of between this minute and minute 75 where other things are happening. Arky does not get in the bus at that moment. Other things are happening and you see Rebecca pull the rope in. Right. We never actually see Arky go in through this window. No. We see nobody go through that window. Yeah. Big Rebecca pulls the rope inside, and then that's it. I think the only reason they had her climb up this rope ladder is so she could look to the side and make eyes at the gyro captain. Yes. He duped us. George Miller duped us. Although, it was a really nice little scene. Oh my god, it was, it was so, so adorable. Sweet. Oh, and the two I just, of them. Oh, I love that they are, like, forming a relationship. Yeah, they've become a very quick item. Yes. And it's nice to see. (laughs) (laughs) What's also nice to see is the gyro captain is Mm pre-spinning his rotors. You mean actually treating his machine like the auto gyro that it is instead of a fictional gyrocopter? (laughs) Right. Sometimes it's a helicopter. Sometimes it's an airplane. That is a nice detail. A few weeks ago, I posted a video of this 80-year-old man trying to start up his gyrocopter. And the headline called it an airplane. And I, looking at it, immediately I knew what it was. Because it looks exactly like the gyro captain's gyrocopter. It's yeah. the same style. And so I read the comments. And there was one guy in the comments who was like, it's a gyrocopter. And I was so tickled. <laughs> And somebody in the comments knew what it actually was. Yeah. We wrap this minute with a little under five seconds of horde vehicles making a big old dramatic line outside the compound. And I feel like if the compound dwellers were able to stick to their original time frame and not wait around for some reason, that they probably could have tried to get out before the horde had a chance to formally arrange themselves like this. But what's done is done. I disagree. Oh, yeah? I think the the line of horde cars forms right now because the compound is making their final preparations. Specifically because they can hear all of the engines, specifically the rig engine. Yeah. Starting up, making all sorts of noise. So the reason that they're they just have... coming over the ridge is because they can hear all the starting up. Yes, I think they have their spies who are watching and listening for what's going on in there. And sound is probably their best indicator. Yeah. Although having somebody up on a pinnacle with binoculars can probably see into the compound decently. Pretty good, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I think they got the signal that, okay, it's time. So they line up for their rumble. It's this shot of the horde lining up that wraps today and there is one specific vehicle in this lineup that is the Lord Humongous's truck, and we are going to start tomorrow by focusing on that vehicle. Oh, yes, we are. And it's also going to be Friday, so we're going to have some guests. You've probably heard their names before in this podcast and in other guest spots that we've been on. We like to talk about them an awful lot, it seems, given their subject material that they like to talk about. But I'm not going to necessarily say who they are yet. You're going to have to come back tomorrow to find out (laughs) who our special guests are. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 7 of the Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.